All the pictures on the wall are women who have been in my program and have died. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are overdoses, and a lot of those overdoses would be heroin overdoses. He's saying the majority of these are overdoses, or? Yes. Mm-hmm. How many are there up there? Uh, 24. And that's just the women. We've had um, 99 men and women that we're aware of since the program started that have died. From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, this is Byline. A show about one newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Andrew Jones. I'm Kale Wilk. And this week, we're taking a look at opioids. We'll follow a reporter as he tries to unravel the complexity of the region's struggle with the big picture. It is a problem and, you know, the supply, you know, does not seem to be going away, so we're going to have to somehow get at the demand. We'll also listen to the family members who bear witness to these addictions. But when you deal with it for so long, it like drains you. Oh, yeah. Mentally, definitely. Like not physically, but mentally it just drains you. Yeah, you're just going to read it, and then, um, you know, you can read it a couple times, like, if you must, you know, if you want me to explain it before I read it. Go ahead and read it. This is what it sounds like when an inmate writes a Dear John letter to the love of his life, heroin. Okay. My name is Charles Hagman. This is my goodbye letter to my drug of choice, which is heroin. When I first met you, I didn't like you. You made me sick to my stomach. I started using a distant relative named Hydrocodone. Suddenly you returned, this time making me feel warm inside, a kind of false confidence like I had nothing to hide. Slowly you changed from a pain taker to a pain maker. Every time I was caught with you, it cost me piles of trials without smiles, not to mention lots of green. You go by many names. Charles Hagman sits on a bunk in his cell. Light pours in through the barred windows as he stares down at a small piece of paper with words Smack scrolled in the face. You turned your back on me instead of making me feel warm. Charles is in for dealing Suboxone, a drug that is meant to help those with opioid addictions. But people use it the wrong way. Unlike so many other drugs, it becomes a destructive lifestyle. Goodbye, one day at a time. On the other side of the mic is a man named Giles Bruce. Giles is paying a few hours of visit time to the Porter County Jail in Valparaiso, Indiana, where Charles isn't the only one doing time for issues with addiction. The jail is sadly all too familiar with inmates who have fallen prey to addiction. Giles is here to find out why, you might say. He's been on the health beat at the Times for a while now, but recently he's taken a deep dive into the world of opioid addiction in northwest Indiana. In his first article on this situation titled The Human Toll of Opioid Addiction, which we strongly encourage you to read at nwitimes.com, Giles is looking for someone to tell the story of addiction, to put a face on a problem that haunts Porter County like a huge and looming storm. So is there anyone, um, like you said, who's graduated the program or been in it for a while who might want to talk? I do have one. Uh, Let me go check on him. I'll be right back. Okay. 
So the jail brings him Charles. Hey, Giles. Charles. He also has a heroin addiction, so... Who tells his story. How long have you been using? Heroin, I've been using, struggling with the heroin addiction for 25 years. Mm-hmm. How'd you get into it? Started in, uh, biking in, escalated into oxycotton. One thing led to another, I was introduced to heroin. Wow, you know, there, there was again, started all over again, energy through the roof. Mm-hmm. One thing turned, led to another, it went from a good thing to uh, needing it, you know, just mm-hmm. like everybody's story. Yeah. And um, to a, a absolute terrible thing to where at the very end, it was um, miserable, miserable. I can honestly say miserable. Right now, Giles is elbow deep in exploring some of the most important issues in the region. Like I said, his is the health beat, and that means that he's writing about everything from yoga classes to infant mortality. But it's all important stuff. The job I had before was in, um, you know, a college town where, you know, people were very health conscious, really, you know, educated when it came to health. Um, so a lot of times I felt like I was preaching to the choir. But now, you know, when I'm, you know, revealing a lot of these issues about how we you know, struggle on various health measures. I feel like I'm really, you know, informing um, a group that, you know, needs to know about it and, you know, really can can make changes, you know. And but the problem with health issues is that they're big. They're political. They're statistical. They're general. And that's part of what Giles is fighting with his stories. You know, but it is those, those human stories, like I mentioned, of, you know, meeting people who are impacted by, you know, these um, major, you know, public health issues that that really has an effect on me. I like to find the people and really humanize these stories, but, um, you know, health is just really a, and health care is really a politically charged topic, obviously, in our society, but, um, you know, a lot of times with the sound bites and the fighting between politicians, the, the human cost is often lost. Giles' reporting goes beyond the addicts. It also touches on the families who have to watch them and pick up the pieces of what they leave behind. Giles reached out to the administrator of a Facebook group for families that dealt with relatives who were addicts. That's how he got in touch with Donna Okleshen and Kara Stasek, the mother and ex-partner of J.D. Okleshen. Just as a note that some of the audio will play was from a separate interview Giles did with the family in Merrillville. You know, that was a case where, you know, they really put a lot of trust in me and in opening up their their souls, basically, and just, um, you know, just telling me that all the heartache that's come from his addiction. I mean, you know, it was just uh, quite an emotional interview, and, um, you know, I really give them a lot of credit because, you know, there are a lot of families who, you know, who don't necessarily want that business out there. There's a lot of shame. There's you know, stigma associated with drug addiction that kind of prevents the issue from really being, you know, kind of aired out and given its proper due, I feel. And been on and off um, for I bet years. that they've been doing it for at least a good 15 years. Easy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? 
they've spent more time in jail than they have out of jail for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. One goes in, one, one comes, comes out. out. And then when the one comes, they'll be out together for like a month, maybe two. Then one goes right back in. It's, it's a nonstop way. cycle. See, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, they made their own choice. They made the choice to do it. You know, that was, you know, but it's like, okay, we all make bad choices. You know, he made one bad choice mm-hmm. and then, you know, it made him addicted for the rest of his life. Opioid addiction is an issue that spans much of the U.S. It's also been claimed by some to be a man-made problem. As a recent example, Giles told us about a report from the Associated Press and the Center for Public Integrity that explained how a grand amount of lobbyists from the pharmaceutical industry have, over several years, blocked measures put forth by advocacy groups to try and stem the avenues leading to opioid addiction. Part one of that story said that from 2006 to 2015, there were $880 million spent by the lobbyists. Understand that opioids, like morphine and oxycodone, are meant to relieve and block out pain. In the recent past, these medicines have been overprescribed, and if addiction developed, users would want more. But with or without a prescription, it isn't necessarily easy to obtain the pills, and it's pricey. Thus, enter heroin, a significantly cheaper opioid that is said to deliver greater, if not the same, effect as the pills. The problem with the addiction is just how much it consumes the user. After each high, it's a chase to find the way to pay for and obtain the next one. And on and on it goes. Well, I mean, the addicts are honest with me. You know, they basically tell me that heroin, opioids is basically, you know, the most amazing feeling possible and the high is just you know amazing I mean people are not gonna you know put so much at risk you know for something you know that is not that but you know with heroin with opioids um, there is a tremendous physical dependency where if they don't do it they get extremely sick you know it's described as you know basically the worst symptoms of the flu um, of just, you know, mental agony of, you know, not being able to sit still or stop, you know, like, you know, shaking your legs or, or just, you know, kind of, um, you know, just extreme anxiety. You know, it's like a full-time job for them. It's, you know, getting high, then figuring out how they get their next high, and they're very, you know, resourceful, you know, in getting that money. Donna O'Kleshen recalled that her son would steal money or sometimes steal objects, like her wedding ring or neighbor's lawnmowers, to pawn them off for money. I think, he, I think he, he just wanted to do it. He was, he was addicted to it and he wanted to do it. I don't think that at the end he, try, he even tried to. He didn't care if he lived or died, I don't think. I don't know. I really don't. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he knew Fatma was in it. I mean, the way that they found him, I mean, I'm sure you read. He had, like, all the kids' toys. Well, they were from the bathtub, though. That's all about them. What did you take the meaning of that as? The kids' toys? Oh. Like, I don't know, like the little shrine or something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He was hugging one of the dolls when he was on the... He had one of them right here. But when you deal with it for so long, it, like, drains you. Oh, yeah. Mentally. Definitely. Like, not physically, but mentally, it just drains you. Truth be told, J.D. did try and kick his addiction. 
especially after his first daughter was born. But it always came back. For other addicts, there are public rehabilitation facilities and programs, but they often have long waits. Um, in Northwest Indiana, you know, particularly if you have, you know, public insurance like Medicaid or, or no insurance, um, you're going to have a hard time getting drug treatment. Um, if an addict, you know, decides on their own they want help, which is, you know, a rarity um, in a lot of cases. But if they do and they call up and they hear there's a six-week waiting list to to get into treatment, they're, you know, not going to stay sober for six weeks. They're going to they're going to use, especially if they're an opioid addict where they're physically dependent, you know, and they're going to get sick if they don't use, you know, in those six weeks, you know, they might overdose and die. So then one day, J.D. died. He had overdosed several times before, but this time was the last. I was expected it. It's hard to describe. I, like I said, I kind of expected it. Um, it, uh... It kind of hit me a little bit more, you know, later, but at that time, um, mm-hmm. it's, I was so pissed at him, too, I really was, just the way he'd been. His mother, Donna, told me, I mean, I, I flat out asked her at one point, I mean, I mean, I know it's horrible that your son's dead, but are you relieved? I don't know if there's, like, a right way to ask this, but was there any kind of relief in a way? Like, I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I feel terrible for, I'm surprised you asked me that, but yes, definitely, it's over. He's in a much better place now. It, it didn't appear to ever gonna end. Right before Giles met Charles at the Porter County Jail, he spent some time touring the building and meeting the people who worked there. He got a first-hand look at the therapeutic community program run inside the jail and how it's trying to help men and women face their addiction head-on and make the right choices mm-hmm. when they get out. Some do, but some do not. All the pictures on the wall are women who have been in my program and have died. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are overdoses, not every single one, but a lot of them are overdoses. Gwen Schilling is an addictions therapist through Porter Stark, and this wall is a sobering reminder that not everyone makes it to the other side. And a lot of those overdoses would be heroin overdoses. He's saying the majority of these are overdoses? Or? Yes. Mm-hmm. How many are there up there? Uh, 24. And that's just the women. We've had um, 99 men and women that we're aware of since the program started that have died for some reason or another. I can't say they're all overdoses, but again, it would probably be at least 80%. You can read this in Giles' reporting as well, but I want you to listen to the moment where he asked Charles about how he feels about being in jail. Are you at all grateful that you got 
picked up here, you know, and got this opportunity. I mean, as much as it sucks. It's more than grateful. Um, Alaska. Yeah. I was a mess, though. I mean, I told you already the night before I got arrested, I told my girlfriend, this, this can't be. I'm, I'm better off in jail. I'm better off in I can't take this anymore. Several times before I got arrested, I said that. But the night before I got, hours before I got arrested, I said that. I was, I was a mess. <laughs> And maybe that doesn't sound so very hopeful, but this is the first time that Charles, who's dealt with opioid addiction for nearly half of his 51 years, has been involved with a program that really wants to help him and maybe even save his life. You know, drug addiction is not a fun place to be. It's, you know, it's... It's tiring. I mean, they, they get a high off it, but once that high is over, they, they just have to worry about finding the next high and chasing it and how they're going to get the money. So to me, they looked exhausted. They looked, you know, older than their years, you know, sicker than their years, you know. Um, and, you know, I got the sense, I don't know if they are putting it on or not, that they were just sick and tired of, of going through this and they were ready to, to get clean and move on. Um, you know, and hopefully if we ever do a follow-up, we'll find out that, that that happened. That fatigue is something you'll not only see in the faces of the addicts working to recover in the NWI correction system, it's something that weighs this entire region down. One of my most pressing questions coming into this interview with Giles was simply, why? What is going on in NWI? Why are we struggling with opioids? Why the deaths and the incarcerations? Why the struggle of so many men and women who have a genuine desire to lead normal lives? If there's one takeaway from this story, it's this. The least we can do is let people know about what's happening. The Times is here to put human faces on huge problems, as Giles said. His reporting on the issues is not over, and that's mostly because he doesn't have all the answers either. He, as a representative of the newspaper and of the region, is still looking for those answers. You know, I've often wondered that why question myself cuz I mean is it something you know about the American psyche and kind of maybe how stressful our lives are, how kind of cutthroat society is that kind of you know gets us anxious and and um kind of in need of a an escape and these drugs are what we turn to. Um you know, I you know, that's why I'm still reporting on it. I'm still trying to get to the bottom of why. And if there's any hope, it's those programs. It's those goodbye letters. But by now, I think we all know it's not going to happen overnight. So when is it going to happen? Well, there was a part of Giles's visit where he looked at Charles's letter and saw something written at the bottom. Here's what Giles wrote in his article. Quote, At the end of the therapeutic community, he, Charles, wrote a parting letter to his former love. At the bottom, he originally wrote, Goodbye forever, heroin. Then, acknowledging the fickle nature of the addiction, he crossed out forever in favor of one day at a time, unquote. One day at a time. Byline is a production of The Times of North Oceania. 
You can find all of our episodes, as well as new ones that come out each Monday at nwi.com slash podcasts. You can also find Byline on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search NWI Byline on any of those platforms and we'll pop up. And if you have a media player and want to download our latest episodes or listen on the go, they're all available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it really helps. You can also shoot us an email to nwibyline at gmail.com. If you've got constructive comments and feedback, suggestions for topics you'd like us to research, or just want to say hello, we like to hear from you. So please, don't hesitate to reach out. Reporting for this episode came from Giles Bruce, as well as Kale Wilk and myself, Andrew Jones. Background information for this story came from the Porter County Jail System, the Associated Press, and the Center for Public Integrity. Giles Bruce is still reporting on this issue, so look for articles in the Times on the topic of opioid addiction in the region and the people on the front lines doing their best to fight back. And thank you, as always, to this show's creator, the Times Digital and Audience Engagement Editor, Summer Moore, who is the lead chef in Byline's Kitchen, uh, but she's a lot nicer than, say, Gordon Ramsay. I'm Kale Wilk. I'm Andrew Jones. And from both of us here in Northwest Indiana, thank you so much for listening, and have a great week. <laughs>